make an impact on your interactive marketing through performance, advertising, community outreach, and technology. Be captivated by the people who are leading the wave of change in the online marketplace. This is who AdTech is. AdTech Connect, your weekly radio show. Get behind the scenes with industry giants. Be privy to the insider track. Witness the newest technologies. Make sure you're in the scene each week with AdTech Connect. You're connected now with your host, Hello, everyone. This is Susan Bratton. I'm the chair of the AdTech Conference, and welcome to AdTech Connect. The theme of this show is Agency Guy meets VC. We have three guest speakers today. First up is Guy Kawasaki. He's the managing director of Garage Technology Ventures, a columnist for Forbes.com, and the author of eight books, which I can proudly say I think I've read almost all of them. There's a few I've got to figure out. Looks like I better go to Amazon and buy a few more. After Guy, we're interviewing David Karlick, the Managing Director of Vantage Point Venture Partners. And last but not least, Julian Aldridge, the CEO and Senior Partner of Ammo Marketing. All three are speakers at AdTech New York coming up November 7th through 9th. We're going to start with Guy this morning. I'd like to welcome him to the show. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Guy. I, I think of you as an industry treasure, you know, one of the people who really embodies the gleam of innovation. And uh, you've like been the, a speaker now at three, coming up on three of our ad techs this year. You, you launched at San Francisco, you killed in Chicago, and you're coming up in New York, right? Well, hopefully I'm going to peak in New York. <laughs> but, <laughs> that but you never good. know. <laughs> you have uh, a new uh, presentation that you're developing for the New York show called Selling the Digital Dream. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Uh, in a prior life as an Apple evangelist, I learned all about selling the dream of Macintosh and creativity and productivity and new user interfaces. And I think, to a large degree, the kinds of new technologies that advertisers and marketers uh, have now at their fingertips uh, is a very powerful thing and can be used to sell uh, and promote and market products in ways that were not possible before. And so this is really evangelism on steroids, and that's sort of, I'm going to talk about the broad principles of applying evangelism and um, revolutionary thinking to advertising. I think about you as being kind of the uh, Confucius of mm, technology marketing, I guess. (laughs) Better than the Britney Spears of technology marketing. Um, Nice try, Guy, but I don't think so. You (laughs) you don't wear enough midriff tops. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I didn't get, just give birth either. Um, exactly. I, I, I guess that's a compliment. Um, it's, it's strange. I'm not you know, sure either. When, when, it's a sad thing. Uh, I have crossed over. So when many people introduce me as a speaker, half the time they're introducing me as an industry legend or a 20-year veteran or, you know, as you just said, a bald guy with a Fu Manchu. Exactly. Not, uh, you know, what what happened? When was I the whiz kid? I kind of lost that someplace. Right, no longer the whiz kid. Well, you're, you're getting a little long in the tooth, but that's yeah, good. Yeah. That's all that experience. That's what gives you all that fodder for your Forbes columns, right? It's because of all the travel I do for you, Susan. I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> so now we also, I think we also talked you into being the MC at the Ad Tech Awards ceremony. We've been really reinvigorating the awards program. What do you have in store for us? I think you're incorporating one of the companies that you've invested in with Garage Technology Ventures. Tell us about that. Well, yes, um, I I love being a master ceremonies. Uh, you don't, you know, it's all ad hoc, it's all live, and uh, I it's love advertising. Unplugged. So you take two things that I love and put them together. This is a slam dunk. All right. So we'll try to give Whoopi Goldberg and Billy Crystal a little run for their money. Um, although I don't think it'll be that good, and. Uh, as you said, this company called Film Loop, which is a visual communications network for um, broadcasting, finding, and communicating using pictures and graphics, is going to be used using their technology to show the candidates, the finalists, and the winners. Um, so I, I think that's a very interesting use of technology, and I wanted to highlight it some. So, well, so um, before we go to a break, I wanted to really understand what you're going to see. Like in the past, we used to have a PowerPoint with a screen capture of whatever was submitted to the awards. You know, all this great web work and online ad campaigns and rich media and, you know, blog advertising. How is it going to be in Film Loop? What's the difference? Well, I think that the, the presentation will be prettier. Uh, there will be a, a 
graphic depicting each finalist. Um, we'll see the final winner in a larger way with more information about that particular winner. Uh, it's kind of difficult to describe on the phone, but it, it you know when I hear PowerPoint, I, I must admit, generally speaking, in my mind, I think okay, so it's a slide with oh about 500 words in eight point times, and the graphics are crude, and they probably use you know a Microsoft little uh, library of stickmen or something. Yeah, I, really yeah. ugly images. <laughs> I'm sure you guys didn't do it that way, but that, that's the impression I get. And Film Loop is more of a beautiful, you know, photographic experience, let me say. All right. Well, we're looking forward to seeing that. Now, we're going to go to a break, but you stay with me because I've got a few more good questions for okay. you. Hang on. by any other name would still be the same. Move over, Shakespeare. You need to differentiate yourself from your competition. Do it by aligning yourself with a company who has earned the trust of Jupiter Media, the NHL, and Lionsgate Films, among others. Moniker.com is the most secure ICANN accredited register on the planet, offering you domain registration, hosting, domain sales, and acquisition services. Wrap that up with 24-7 support. That's your winning combination. M-O-N-I-K-E-R.com. More than a name. The innovative services of Load.com help you easily maximize your business and bottom line. Since 1999, Load.com has offered premium web applications and business solutions for companies worldwide. Set up business and private mailboxes. Track marketing and website traffic. And assure a professional design for your website with Load's email, web stats, and DNS services. Save time. Save money. Load is your reliable source for professional web applications and business solutions. Visit Load.com. That's L-O-A-D dot com and get loaded today. 60-day free advertising trial on the best of the web directory. That's B-O-T-W dot org, the Internet's oldest directory since 1994. We know what you want, and we've got what you need. And hey, if you can get some free online advertising in this world with no strings attached, feel us up. I, I, I mean, feel free to take advantage of this extraordinary offer. And start your no-risk 60-day free online advertising trial today. Best of the web. BOTW.org. We're back. And this is Susan Bratton, the chair of AdTech, with Guy Kawasaki, who is with Garage Technology Ventures. Guy, thanks for coming in today. I wanted to get back to the books that you write. You are prolific, and they're very, very practical. You must have a lot of, I don't think, I think it's Capricorn in you or something. Um, the Art of the Start, I loved the part where you had the ten lies that everybody tells VCs and how to call bullcrap on them. Yeah, yeah um, well, uh you know, I, I have this medical condition called Meniere's disease, and it involves right. tinnitus, which is a ringing in your ear, hearing loss, and sometimes I get vertigo. And there's medical, many medical theories about why Meniere's exist, but my theory is that because I have to listen to so many crappy pitches every year that you know, basically I'm getting dizzy, going deaf, and having ringing in my head. So one of the goals of my book was to prevent an epidemic of Meniere's disease in the venture capital community. Part of what we hear all the time are these lies that, you know, everybody comes in and says the same thing, and they think they're telling them as if they're new, much less new lies. And, and it's stuff like, you know, we have patent-pending technology. Well, every jerk-off who filed a, a patent is saying that, and all we have to do is get 1% of the people in China. Well, you know, that's not so easy. And we have a proven team. You know, no one has ever come in and says, we have an unproven team. So, geez, you really stand out when you tell us that. Um, well, let me ask you a question about that. Now, when you wrote The Art of the Start, I think it was, it was from the first bloom of the Internet phase, right? It was, it was all your learning based on, on the first bubble. We, we're coming into the, you know, bubble two here amen, with so baby. many new startups. Are there any new lies, or is it still the same old lies? What's new? Well, I think the more sophisticated entrepreneurial liar has added at least one, which is <laughs> we have a business model. Before, nobody, nobody ever addressed that. You didn't have to have a business model. All you had to do was have a cornflower blue shirt, 
Pierce nose and work for McKinsey for a summer. That was worth five billion five million dollars, right? But now, now that many things burst because they didn't have a business bubble, one of the opening lines is always, "We have really solid business model." Is it We're still going a house to, of cards? Know, is that what you're telling me? Uh, I'm sorry. Is it still a house of cards? Uh, I would say it's still a house of cards. It's just not a five-story house now. It's a two-story house, uh, but it is cards. And but you know well, what? Doesn't it have not, to be? I mean, it is venture yeah. capital. It is a start-up. It is. It you has know, to be. A we house believe of cards. we can create something. So how do you figure out what, if it's if it's all shaky cards or if there's some foundation there? What do you do? What's your you, tip? You know what? Can I tell you? This is a dirty little secret. So tell us. Many people believe there's a science to it that you look at the resumes and the backgrounds of the, the founders. You look at the technology. You have people look at the source code. Um, you, you speak to references about whether they'll really buy the dog food. You know, are there real customers for it? But at the end of the day, it's luck, and it's you invest in stuff that you personally would like to use or you personally do use or something like that. It's, yeah. It's a lot more luck and emotion and guttural reaction than it is a science. But nobody likes to admit that because, you know, then it makes you seem less intellectual and less powerful and less analytic to say, oh, yeah, I'm lucky. That's how I got rich. But, you know, that's the truth. I just would rather be lucky than smart. Well, now, here's a question for you. In your Forbes.com column. Mm-hmm. It seems like you're kind of the helpful hints for, from Heloise for the VC startup community. Um, all these yeah. questions that people <laughs> write in, do they really write those questions or are you writing them? Uh, some of those questions are so, shall I say, challenged that I couldn't make them up if I tried. Um, you know, the typical kind of question we have is, oh, I have this great idea. Uh, I'm working right now um, selling, um, uh, I'm working right now part-time selling uh, used musical instruments, but I have this idea to use uh, P2P uh, technology and Oracle servers and open source using Google AdSense patent-pending technology to sell dog food online. But I can't tell you anything about it yet because... I need you under NDA because if I told you how I was going to sell dog food online with this new P2P open source technology, then you would rip me off. So what should I do when I meet with investors? <laughs> it, it exhausts me to just say the question. <laughs> <laughs> me too. So a lot, I, I did read a lot of your articles, and a lot of them are about protecting your, yes. your information but still sharing it yes. with VCs. And, right? and when, my, when my colleague Dave Carlick comes on next, yep. and, you, know, you ask him, Will he sign an NDA to meet with an uh, entrepreneur? Because nobody signs an NDA. An entrepreneur who asks for a non-disclosure agreement is essentially putting a little sign on his head that says, that says I am clueless. Yeah. The, the reason why we cannot sign NDAs is that at any given moment, we're meeting with five companies who have roughly the same idea. So we, if we sign one NDA and fund another company, the company whose NDA we signed is going to say, oh, you took my idea under NDA, you ripped it off, this idea for selling dog food online. You told another company about it, and they did it, so we're suing you. So we never sign any NDAs so that we can never get in that problem. Well, and an NDA you, is pretty much useless, off um, of the other than in biotech. With, riffing off of the five companies with the, with the same idea, let's talk about RSS and your opinion of that for a second. You know, we're about to launch with AdTech Connect, an RSS feed of a lot of the content that we produce from great speakers like yourself. Mm-hmm. I see that you have an RSS feed for your Forbes.com series. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Uh, I think it is one of those things that reflects how you can apply technology to do pinpoint marketing and sales that you could not have done before. I think okay. it's a beautiful idea. I don't want any more feeds, but <laughs> I think it's a beautiful idea. Now, do you have RSS set up? Do you have a reader set up on your computer, and do you take feeds from places besides yourself? I, I would presume you probably are feeding yourself. <laughs> no, I, no pun intended. I don't even feed myself. Um, okay. You know, the nature of my life, Susan, is I get 150 to 200 emails per day. So I get like, you know, sort of I'm on, I'm on unlimited RSS feeds called email. Yeah. And so I, I, I very seldom do that. I have a My Yahoo homepage that has, 
you know, the list of the hottest news. Actually, the first two news uh, synopses are all about hockey. I happen to love hockey, so the first I news I check. Aren't you on hockey. the board of some hockey team or group no, or something? No, I wish. Ah. <laughs> I just stand in line and buy tickets like anybody else. So <laughs> I, I read all my hockey news that way, and um, but I'm not really an an RSS reader um, because. I have enough trouble keeping up with what I have to do already. All right. So it's not there for you, but um, some people are saying it may be the next killer app for marketers. So we'll see if that pans out. Well, you know I have, what I, I think a silly is the next killer app for you. marketers, right? I have a silly little question for you. Yes. One of the things you did after you graduated, after you got your MBA at UCLA, you went to work for a jewelry manufacturer called Nova Stylings. Uh-huh. And, and you said that you learned to sell by selling jewelry. Yes. What was it that you learned that you've apparently applied to the rest of your life? <laughs> well, the jewelry business is a very, very old and established business. It's built completely on one's reputation and trust. And um, you know, to this day, I know jewelers that if I walked into their store and said, I want to buy my wife a $25,000 diamond, would you let me take this diamond and show it to her? They would probably give it to me because of trust. And... You know, unlike the technology business where everything is about shucking and jiving, um, the jewelry business is built much more on personal selling, on negotiating, on very personal hand-to-hand kind of things, which I believe is a great skill. And it is usually not a skill that's taught in high tech. So I was, I'm glad that I, I did the low-tech personal hand-to-hand combat selling before I went into the high-tech you know, shove-out RSS feeds. Yeah, interesting. What do you? Uh, one of the things that I'm concerned about is that we're raising a whole generation of workers who are in their 20s to mid 30s now who never worked in a world where there wasn't email, and that email has has become the replacement for what you call hand to hand contact. I call skin to skin selling. Yeah. What do but, you think about that? Are we ruining the next generation of relationship? Yeah, sellers? but you know, Susan, um, you and I are too old. To uh, and that's why we make that kind of statement. You know, because yeah. I, I would bet, I would bet that yeah, ten or twenty years ago, people were saying, you know, people are just not meeting each other. They're using the phone. The phone is ruining the is ruining sales. So you said emails ruining sales. Somebody before us said that uh, phones were ruining sales. Somebody before that said faxes are ruining sales and hand to hand combat. There's always some old geezer like you and I saying, oh, this new generation, they don't understand how it's done. And, and 50 years from now, someone will be saying that about this generation. So, you know, I've learned to not care about that. <laughs> All right. So I guess we're just old geezers. I'm willing to take that from you, Guy, just because I know you love me. Yeah, I do. <laughs> so let me add, we have about a minute left, and um, I just want to know what you're working on now. What's your next book? Uh, my next book is really to be determined. And honestly, I am toying with the idea of doing a... I hope that buzzing is not me. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to control it. It's nothing in my office is ringing. Oh, there, it went away. So my my next book I'm looking at is doing uh, about the life cycles of a company and at each stage the crises that it will face and how to deal with these crises. Uh, Wow. That sounds sort of mirroring my life. <laughs> so life, life stages of a business. Yeah, well, not just life stages, which, you know, you can say that in four words. You know, you, you have startup and you have growth and you have maturity and you have decline. It's not that. It's what are the challenges you're going, you're going to face in each in a sort of stage. Have you read the book Passages by Gail Sheehy? Uh, like 100 years ago, talk about old geezer, but yes. yeah. Well, I want to do the corporate version of that. Okay. Okay. And have you started working on that? No, but, you know, the hard part is coming up with the idea. After that, it's implementation. It's just like marketing, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. So, I like so, it. Well, you know me. I'll, anything you write, I'll read. I right. love everything you've done. And I'd encourage everybody at AdTech to pick up all your books. <laughs> all right. And we're really looking forward to hearing Selling the Digital Dream. All right. AdTech New York. And thank you so much for coming on the show today. Who's next? Dave Carlick? Carlick's up. Oh, so that's another old geezer you got. Yeah, on. I love, what is it with me and the old geezers? It's old know. geezer yeah, day, I guess, huh? You, you, we'll you have it. a fetish for old people. I don't know. What can I say? 
Are you complaining? No. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way. (laughs) All right, take care, Susan. Have a great day. We'll see you in November. It's all about links, baby. Content is king, but links are what you need to get you those all-important organic search listings. Float to the top of your keyword listings within the major portals while driving targeted traffic to your website at the same time. Work with a company with a proven track record for delivering results for thousands of individual website owners and major Fortune 500 companies. TextLinkAds.com is your source for securing relevant links. Baby, TextLinkAds.com. So they got pretty good food here, huh? Uh, Listen, I just got a new check from a program I joined. Oh, yeah? What effective CPM are they paying you? Pass the salt. Not sure. They just send me a check, not a detailed breakout. Are you joking? No. There's lots of ways to make money, but you need to be the master of your own destiny. With ValueClick Media, I instantly adopted a national sales force that delivers recognizable ads with high CPM payouts. Mm. Plus, their new interface lets me control the ads I want to run and tells me how much I earn from each advertiser. Wow. Doesn't that sound better? Pass the pepper. Wow. Thanks for the tip. I'm going to give value. ValueClick Media, try. Join the ad network publishers trust most. Apply today at ValueClickMedia.com. Over 4,000 clients around the world are utilizing effective content-based solutions from InfoSearch Media. With the expertise of over 200 professional copywriters to work for you. Studies show that the number one factor visitors consider before making a purchase online is trust. And nothing creates more trust and loyalty than well-written, informative content. High-quality content also generates free search engine traffic. Content is definitely king. Visit InfoSearchMedia.com today. A rose by any other name would still be the same. Move over, Shakespeare. You need to differentiate yourself from your competition. Do it by aligning yourself with a company who has earned the trust of Jupiter Media, the NHL, and Lionsgate Films, among others. Moniker.com is the most secure ICANN accredited register on the planet, offering you domain registration, hosting, domain sales, and acquisition services. Wrap that up with 24-7 support. That's your winning combination. M-O-N-I-K-E-R.com. More than a name. Hello, this is Susan Bratton, the chair of the AdTech series of conferences, and you're listening to AdTech Connect. Thanks for, wel- thanks for coming on today, and I'd like to welcome David Scott Carlick, the managing director of Vantage Point Venture Partners, or VPVP, as we like to call it. Are you there, David? I am indeed. Good morning. How are you? So far, so good, Susan. How about you? Good. Knowing you, you've been up since about 7 o'clock on conference calls, yakety-yakking away with potential uh, investment companies. I'm not a conference call person. I'm an email person, and I have a recumbent exercise bike with my email machine on it, and and that's my morning system. I love that, multitasking. Well, I don't know. (laughs) I I bet you can tune in I can't pedal and write at the same time. (laughs) I bet you uh, probably didn't listen to the first part, but I was just on with Guy Kawasaki, and he called you an old geezer. I am an old geezer. Oh. I think that's redundant, though. I think geezer and old are both the same thing. It's redundant. You're redundant on your recumbent. That's right. <laughs> the Department of Redundancy Department. <laughs> well, I'm so glad to have you on. You know, you've been an ad tech speaker and moderator for years. Being an old geezer, you can do that, right? I can geeze away with the best of them. And, and of course, you know, Guy is famous and well-postured in this business, in part because of his personality, but... Years and years ago, I was the first one to put Guy into pictures and make him famous. Really? What did you do? Guy was uh, leaving Apple and working for a company called ACIUS, A-C-I-U-S, and selling Fourth Dimension. And we put the advertising out for ACIUS using Guy as the spokesman, spokesperson. And we did spread ads in the computer magazines with Guy, and we had to get him to buy new clothes. We bought them for him and made him stand up in the pictures and look good. And since then, he's decided that standing up in front of cameras and looking good is a pretty good deal. Wow. Well, you you took him to the next level. So that was back at Carlick Advertising. Is that That, right? That was indeed. And that was your very first ad agency in Silicon Valley, where you worked a lot with venture-backed companies. I think that was kind of the transition for you, coming from agency guy to VC guy, wasn't it? 
It is. It is. Uh, in a way, you know, I have been in the Silicon Valley venture ecosystem for coming up on 30 years, mm-hmm. uh, as a geezer should. Yeah. And, uh, and the switchover is interesting because uh, now as an investor, I invest in the kind of online marketing companies that uh, do what we used to do as an agency. So uh, I'm still in the same business, just on a different side of it. Well, take, take our listeners a li- through a little walk through history, the Carlick history. You know, tell us a little bit about when you were with Carlick, what venture-backed companies did you launch? That's a fascinating part of it. And then tell us a little, the little story of kind of the roll-up, Carlick, DBM, Bozell, Puppy Tyson, Digidot, you know, that whole thread, and give us some perspective on that. Sure. Um, you know, I, I started Carlick Advertising roughly in 1979 when I couldn't get a job. And the PC was just coming out, and so uh, PC companies were sometimes venture-backed and sometimes not, because they could be built in garages. If you recall, the original Apple computer was first presented at a hobby club by Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. And uh, it was an exciting time. You know, in a way, it was a precursor to what the Internet launch was like in the mid-'90s, in that you know, here was some stuff that at first looked really clunky, but uh, you know, that a lot of people with a conviction that uh, it was going to change the world and become the way people worked. Now, it was hard to imagine when you had a 200-kilobyte floppy drives and 16 kilobytes of memory, and the entire size of a word processing program was 36 kilobytes of, you know, of memory, that this would become you know, ubiquitous and, and how the world worked. But it solved problems, and it solved problems well. So we started launching little companies and moved up to larger ones. So over the course of the time, uh, we launched uh, the Osborne personal computer, which was the first serious portable computer, and uh, went to $100 million in revenue in its first year, and then disappeared in a story that's much too long to bore your readers with, but it's one of the legends of Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. We were involved with Cypress Semiconductor, which was named by, uh, backed by Sequoia, of course, and named as uh, Harvard uh, Business School's Entrepreneurial Company of the Year on one occasion. Cirrus Logic, both of these companies are still in existence. We did early on, we, I was in, in effect the 26th employee of Silicon Graphics um, when my agency was hired there to help them get started. And uh, we went with them for a dozen years through many, many adventures in the introduction of 3D computing, which now, of course, has its greatest manifestation in not just 3D design for airplanes and cars and architecture and nuclear power plants, but you see it mostly in, in 3D manifested in, in the movie special effects and in the games and the game systems. Uh, and, uh, of course, what the company popularized has become part of the fabric of computing now, and Silicon Graphics is not the powerhouse it once was. But in its heyday, when it was a revolutionary company, it was an exciting time. And, of course, out of Silicon Graphics came Jim Clark. And Jim Clark started Netscape, which became an early client. And so we did... Um, actually, by then, as part of Poppy Tyson, the original web design work for Netscape. So if you looked at the Netscape browser and the Netscape default homepage, what you saw was work that we produced with Mozilla and the parachutes and the search and all the pieces to it. And it was very much fun opening up all the newspapers that said, the Internet is coming, the Internet is coming, and they would always have pictures of our work, which was Netscape or the White House or Chrysler, Jeep, Eagle, etc. So that I'm moving forward rather fast through it all. No, that's great. And it, at that same time, something was happening with DoubleClick and Silicon Graphics and Carlick Advertising. Isn't that right? Well, I sold Carlick Advertising to Bozell Worldwide um, in 1993, just before the Internet really started to show up. And we became the Silicon Valley office of a Bozell subsidiary called Poppy Tyson. And our companies in Silicon Valley started coming to us for help in, in making... Uh, 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 put a marketing spin, if you will, or in a way put wallpaper on applications that the engineers had developed using the World Wide Web primarily to do customer support. So companies like Synopsys and Silicon Graphics and Hewlett Packard brought us in to say, look, we're, we're doing these things and engineers are coming in and they're getting answers to their questions and they like this much better than the waiting on, the, on a helpline for an operator who may not know stuff. And the engineers in turn are contributing what they've learned to the help desk. And so this online help desk has become a big thing, but it just looks horrible and, and our presentation isn't right. Can you help us learn the presentation? And in learning that, we all of a sudden, it just became clear as could be to me that if engineers could get help on how to 
uh, debug a particular uh, module of their Synopsys software or, you know, work their way through issues of, of design automation or work their way through issues of silicon graphic support, why on earth wouldn't people be working their way through the issues of what are the features of a car that they want to buy or, or you know, shopping comparisons and so forth? So we started at Poppy Tyson Silicon Valley, a web group that quickly became uh, supported in New York and, and became Poppy's fastest growing group, which was poppy.com, and did a lot of websites in the early days. And uh, ultimately, that group was sold to Motomedia, and Motomedia, after that merger, went public, if you recall, as MMPT, Motomedia Poppy Tyson, and they have since sold to Digitas. And while we were doing the Netscape work, um, you know, history is remembered differently oftentimes than it really was. Netscape wasn't really sure if they were a media company or a software company or an enterprise company, but they sure as heck didn't think that they were an advertising company. And yet, they were shipping probably more pages than anyone in the Internet at the time. So Jim Clark finally said, with all these pages being shipped, can't we put advertising on it? So we said, sure, and but I realized at the time that there was just no way that Netscape was going to have an ad sales force, and even more important, there was no way to effectively call on media companies website by website by website. It would be a catastrophe. That What was needed was a, a rep service, if you will, that could have enough media in its sales bag that you could go to a Ford or go to a General Motors or a Procter & Gamble and say, I can reach you know, millions and millions of people in any way that you want. And so Netscape became the anchor account of a company we called DoubleClick. And uh, we got 16 other accounts, and DoubleClick in the early days of ad sales, res you know, thanks to Netscape mainly, was representing something like 40 or 50% of the inventory online. Right. Uh, so we met Kevin O'Connor, who had interactive advertising networks, Ian, and had the Dart system. And we were developing a system. He had one. We had the inventory. He had the software. We had the market presence. He had the idea of the uh, serving solved, which we were working to solve. So they were merged. Bozell funded it, and it spun out eventually to become the double click that we know and love today. It's a fantastic history. You were on top of it all at that time, and I think you're on top of it all at this time, this next generation of expansion in the digital marketing arena. We're going to take a quick break. I want to come back and talk to you about that and talk to you about the things you're doing at the upcoming Shanghai and New York ad techs. So we'll go to break for a second, Dave. Thank you so much. Need a change of pace? Well, you're at it. WebmasterRadio.fm, your home for B2B. 60-day free advertising trial on the best of the web directory. That's BOTW.org, the Internet's oldest directory since 1994. We know what you want, and we've got what you need. And hey, if you can get some free online advertising in this world with no strings attached, feel us up. I, I, I mean, feel free to take advantage of this extraordinary offer. And start your no-risk 60-day free online advertising trial today. Best of the web. BOTW.org. The innovative services of Load.com help you easily maximize your business and bottom line. Since 1999, Load.com has offered premium web applications and business solutions for companies worldwide. Set up business and private mailboxes. Track marketing and website traffic. And assure a professional design for your website with Load's email, web stats, and DNS services. Save time. Save money. Load is your reliable source for professional web applications and business solutions. Visit Load.com. That's L-O-A-D dot com and get loaded today. Do you sell a product or service with monster potential in the online market? Then attack the opportunity to turn your dreams into reality. Equipped with flexible e-commerce software from MonsterCommerce.com, you'll possess complete control of your store, including your storefront's design, maintenance of your products, and management of your online orders, and all with the technical support and service. Available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Grow your business today with MonsterCommerce.com. We're back at AdTech Connect. 
This is Susan Bratton, the chair of AdTech, and I'm today with David Carlick, the managing director of Vantage Point Venture Partners. David, are you with us? I am. Fantastic. Well, I'd love to just hear what the heck has happened and how lucky you are with the whole Intermix Media MySpace sale. Give us a little update on that, and then I want to talk about some of the things you're thinking about and funding and looking at for this next fantastic bubble. Sure thing, Susan. I had a couple lucky breaks in... One of them was, of course, that I was invited to join the board of Ask Jeeves during the darkest part of the nuclear winter. In fact, the first board meeting there that I attended was September 11th, 2001. Wow. And uh, Jeeves at the time was uh, roughly a $40 million in revenue, $40 million market cap, and $40 million in cash. Um, but the whole business of paid listings was just at the point of transforming the search industry from being something that just couldn't be monetized with CPM advertising. There's something that was exploding into profitability. By the end of 2002, I think the whole industry turned profitable. And as you know, uh, the sale of Jeeves to Interactive Corp closed earlier this year. And uh, in four years, their market cap went from a $40 million level to a value of well over $2 billion or slightly over $2 billion as of the closing price. And it was a real treat to be an insider and watch uh, the, the, the search business you know, change the whole online advertising business. And as you know, a substantial, a disproportionate amount of online advertising dollars compared to pages delivered is going to search because of its incredible ability to match the relevant offer to the behavior and the interest of the person who is looking for something. And, uh, and, and the people who built Jeeves, uh, you know, Berkowitz and Battle and et al. are, are doing great, and they're going to be a great asset to uh, Interactive moving forward. We were also uh, lucky enough to invest in eUniverse in in late 2003, just as the industry started to emerge from the nuclear winter. And believe it or not, MySpace, which, and of course eUniverse changed its name to Intermix, um, MySpace was still a twinkle in in MySpace founder's eye at the time that we did the investment. We knew that the company had um, a real flair for innovation in its content and innovation in its direct marketing. And interestingly, MySpace was started by two guys who had been in the direct marketing side. I've always felt, and I felt back in my agency days, that direct marketing is is where creativity meets uh, salesmanship and and inspiration meets practicality. And, Mm -hmm. And the MySpace guys have been, as direct marketers are, probably the best example of people getting the feedback from what their users wanted and liked, and then making that feedback, turning that feedback into the features and the benefits and the personality and the tone of the site, which in turn created things that people, you know, um, became, uh, users become very involved in the MySpace deal. MySpace has fewer uh, unique users than Google, but ships more pages than Google in a given month because of the involvement and engagement that people have with the property. The sticky site, as we call it in the business. It used to be, yeah. Well, you know, everything that was old is new. All the, all the geezer stuff we talked about in the mid-90s is happening. Time is nature's way of keeping everything from happening at once. And, uh, <laughs> I love that. Happen you, at once you just we... make that up, or is that a phrase you know? <laughs> that's an old catchphrase. It's my, one of my favorites. It. Hadn't heard of it. Uh, that's, that's, well, I've, I've got a million of them <laughs> as, as a geezer. <laughs> Well, I know we only have a couple minutes left, and I really want to get to the work you're doing in Shanghai and New York. Um, in Shanghai, November 15th and 16th, you're, we have you very busy. You're moderating two sessions. The first one is a panel discussion. It's called Interactive Agencies, Growth at a Profit or Loss. I mean, I think school's still out in China about how interactive agencies are going to make some money. Um, I'd love any insight you have on how you plan to run the session or what you're doing with it or the kinds of things you might discuss. You know, it's going to be a very exciting time because um, we've been through this whole interactive agency business and and we've learned a lot from it. And and the and the big ones here, the Digitas's and the Equantives are growing well and doing well. And there's an enormous there are 2,500, I think, search engine optimization and search engine marketing companies out there yeah. that are making a living. And in, in the interesting development that has happened since the previous you know, iteration of the Internet, call it 1.0, through 2.0 to what we call 3.0 now, is, the, uh, is this whole performance marketing business. And so the performance marketing business says that the merchant says, here's the price I'll pay for a customer or here's the price I'll pay for an action, and puts that out in the open market. 
and people with affiliate networks or email systems or websites or all kinds of different clever schemes can go about monetizing those the traffic that they can buy, rent, borrow, uh, beg, and, and, and turn that into the uh, commission bounties. And we're seeing just dozens of explosively growing companies in this area. So Daytran being one of Daytran your Daytran is certainly right? one of them. You know, it's not a traditional agency in any sense of the word, and uh, it's a, a private investment that we have made in, in New York. And so one of the things that will be interesting for the panel is to definitely make sure that we explore that you're not paving cow paths with digital marketing, that you don't just try to mimic the agency in the digital world. I, Susan, don't think that all the money that wants to come into digital because all the eyeballs are there, if you will, is going to find its way in strictly through CPM advertising. It just doesn't move port from television to impressions online. MySpace and others have shown that it has to port over to the activities and the involvement and the engagement that people have in ways that are different than just throwing up ads. People today are involved in what they do. The difference between interactive and television is so profound, and the P&G folks are hinting at engagement being the new measure, and I think that's a pretty accurate, uh, pretty accurate way to start looking at things. And so if you start building engagements, then uh, you know, the business of online is different. Now, the online agencies have to deal with something, which is the traditional buyer has said, well, you know, 15% or 10% is all that the agency gets, right? And the rest goes to the media. But if you're building a website, well, there is no media. You're, you're getting all the website building. If you're building a contest or if you're building a, a place where uh, customers can come to your site and share their opinions of the product in an open manner, that isn't media dollars, and yet you're creating a forum or an engagement for people that that can have more impact than media dollars. And that's the thing that agencies are having to learn. And as you know, my biggest passion on this is that in the interactive world, we can measure what like we couldn't measure before. That's an old saw. But what we can really measure is the most important element of brand equity. And brand equity, we now know, is not just unaided recall. I can remember the name. Brand equity is how likely are your customers and people in the marketplace to recommend your product or service. If Which it's is a about high likelihood, that metrics, right? That metrics is one of your investments as well. That's right. Set metric systems, and uh, and we're now actively shopping and engaged with a number of companies in this area. Well, I just begged my producer in the back here to give me an extra minute because we have one minute left, and I, 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 you are also um, moderating the Buzz Viral and Blog Marketing Session in Shanghai. And in New York, you're doing two back-to-back sessions. We have a series called Client Agency Tango, where you're going to be interviewing SunTrust Bank, Purina's Cat Chow Brand Manager, Procter & Gamble's Health Care Group that does a consumer and influencer connections program, the Reebok Brand Manager for their running series, Speed Television, and Sony Electronics. You've got a handful there. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. And I, I, yeah. I, I, I hope everyone will come to that because we're going to have – Fist fights, yelling, screaming, and giggling, and it will be a uh, it'll be a great conversation. The client agency Tango has certainly gotten more complex with online, and I'm looking forward to those sessions greatly. It's um, pairing up the agency and their client, and a lot of times I've found that what people are interested in is not just the programs that are done. You know, not just okay, we did this campaign for Catchow, but what really happens behind the scenes. Um, I know you have a lot of experience with that and, and being able to pull out from these speakers, you know, how you manage multiple agencies who implement these kinds of programs and what kind of communication you do and how you keep the brand seamless across online and offline. Um, I think you're going to lead the discussion in that way, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely. We're going to uh, have a deep as the outer space people do, a deep probe of the workings of the relationships that make things happen online. That's great. Well, I, I want to just leave off with any opportunity for you to speak to the Ad Tech Connect listener audience. Um, you're a VC. I think you have some money to spend. What are you looking for? Who should give you a call? Are you currently taking phone calls from startups who are looking for funding? Well, I certainly would prefer that they send me an email with an attached summary of what they have. Got it. Okay. We're and where do they send that? All the th- it's carlick at vpvp.com. That's easy. And uh, we're looking at all the things in performance marketing, uh, user-generated content, online media, uh, agency tools, new forms of agencies, all the new things that are transforming the way that customers relate to their uh, companies and companies relate to their customers viral marketing, you know, all the uh, 
podcasting, all the aggregation that goes with this, all the analysis that goes with it. That's a broad palette. Great. So they should send an email with an executive summary to you, and then maybe you'll see them in New York or Shanghai at AdTech. I look forward to it. Me too, David. Thank you so much for coming on today. You've brought a lot of wisdom to the discussion, and we hope you'll come back. Thank you, Susan, for that walk down memory lane. You're welcome. (laughs) Have a great day, David. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to go to a break, and next up is Julian Aldridge, the CEO and senior partner at Ammo Marketing. WebmasterRadio.fm. Welcome to the place your competitors get their edge. Jump on it. We're here for you 24-7. It's all about links, baby. Content is king, but links are what you need to get you those all-important organic search listings. Float to the top of your keyword listings within the major portals while driving targeted traffic to your website at the same time. Work with a company with a proven track record for delivering results for thousands of individual website owners and major Fortune 500 companies. TextLinkAds.com is your source for securing relevant links. Baby, TextLinkAds.com. Contrary to what your mother told you, you cannot be all things to all people. You can, however, focus on your primary business and ensure your success by outsourcing the technical projects to a company who is forward-thinking, solutions-oriented, and works as a complete extension of your organization. No need to do it over and over again. SRK Consulting can develop integrated automation programs, programming in most major languages and operating systems. SRKConsulting.com, making sure your mother is Always proud. Hello, this is Susan Bratton from AdTech. I'm the chair of the conferences, and I'm your host today for AdTech Connect. Uh, Today, we're going to interview Julian Aldridge. He's the CEO and senior partner at Ammo Marketing. Julian, are you with us? I think he might be coming by, and that's all right. We can keep going. Uh, interestingly enough, Ammo Marketing is a speaker at the next New York Ad Tech, and I think we have Julian on the line. Um, can you hear me now, Susan? I sure can. How are you today, Julian? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Great. It's my pleasure. Um, I wanted to do a couple of things with you today. The first that I wanted to do was just to talk a little bit about um, the path, your career path to get to this new influencer marketing arena, which is what Ammo Marketing is doing. And so it seems to me in looking at your history that you started out in London um, as the consumer products guy. You came to Silicon Valley and you dabbled in high tech, which didn't seem to last too long, and you got back into the consumer world with Red Sky and then launched Ammo. So could you give us just a little bit of the the path that you took and the things that you learned with regard to consumer products and tech products, the differences, and how you ended up where you are? That's a a nice summary, and uh, I'll certainly try and do that. I think uh, what distinguishes a lot of us in this space is a very short, uh, a very low boredom threshold. And I know that growing up in advertising in the U.K., there came a time when there's only so many innovative advertising strategies you can do for consumer packaged goods, for cat litter, for dog food, whatever. And certainly towards the end of my career there, I started looking for just new ways to connect with people or in some ways just ways to connect because although I'm still a great fan of good advertising, so much of it is just one-way communication. It's a monologue. The consumer has no ability to interact or react or actually become part of the brand. And so when I moved over to the States and started to uh, work for about a year and a half in high tech, really to see if a theory I'd had for a while, which was that it honestly doesn't matter what you're doing, B2C, B2B, or anything else, the fundamental human motivations are remarkably similar. Um, I'm a planner by background, so I spend a lot of my life talking to consumers, whether they're 15-year-olds drinking sodas or 75-year-olds on welfare. And those motivations are what good advertising, good marketing really plums into. And with HP, I think they certainly understood a lot of that and did some fairly innovative things within a very staid category. But there's, this was really the end of the late 90s, and that's the time when obviously the internet was taking off. I'd been dabbling in it with HP. 
and saw an opportunity to take what I knew about planning and try and integrate that into interactive. And <laughs> to bastardize an old phrase, I had a very good idea that 50% of what I knew would be irrelevant and the other 50% would be incredibly useful in interactive marketing. And that's pretty much how it turned out in that a lot of the methodologies we use to gain consumer insights, to understand brands, and then to come up with motivating propositions and messages were very relevant. But because interactive is by its definition a two-way channel where you can really have a dialogue, a lot of the traditional thinking of how to craft advertising messages was completely redundant. So that was a fascinating four years. I would must say I'm very proud of a lot of the work that everybody did at Red Sky. I think Tim Smith is one of those real visionaries out there. Yeah, and Tim is on the board of AdTech. He's on our advisory board, and that's how we met you. So I said all the right thing, didn't I? <laughs> uh, yes, you did. You impressed him. You know, a lot of the people who are in the interactive business are more, um, they're young, and they've come into the interactive space, and they don't have any traditional or classic uh, offline agency experience. And a lot of times they, so far, because interactive hasn't until the last year or two led strategy, Mm -hmm. uh, for marketing, it's been the thing that's been added on. Absolutely. And so they're the tail at the end of the dog with regard to consumer insights. Yep. Would you give, you know, in, in a very short, uh, like a minute or less, give our listeners a crash course in what the hell consumer insights are and how you get them and how you apply them, maybe through three or four examples from their past experience? Wow, in 60 seconds. Okay. I know, it's a radio show, darling. It must be terse. <laughs> Off we go. I mean, I think the f you look for exactly the same things as you would in any other type of marketing arena. You're looking for what do people value in a category, in a brand, um, in your particular product, if it's a sub-brand, which very often is the case that we're dealing with. And then you look for ways to connect with them. How can you actually give them value? You can argue that TV commercials give advertising through humor, emotion, um, awareness of a new product. And interactive should be exactly the same thing, except we can usually um, guide people to the product attributes or the brand characteristics we really want to develop. And I think the biggest mistake that a lot of people in interactive made in the late 90s, early 2000s, and are still making, is to say, we have this cool technology and we can use it. Right. As opposed to what will actually connect, what will dimensionalize the brand, and what will leave people with a message or an interaction that they really want to tell their friends about. And I know that when we started working with Sutter Home um, about six years ago, they said, we need a website. And we said, you have a website. And they said, yeah, but we need a flash website. We said, why? Why would people come back to a website for a winery again? Other Especially than White Zinfandel, for God's sakes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and they were dealing with a fairly uneducated target market. Mm -hmm. So the strategy we work we did with them were with them, with new drinkers, people who are graduating from beer to their first wine, hence White's yeah. Infidel, was to try and find out what's the wine moment? What does that feel like? And how can we perhaps replicate that online so that people can then work with an application, which what became the Mood Maker, which is an application that sat on your desk and gave you soothing sounds so you could create your own personal space in the way that wine does in the real world, which was then a branded moment, and in fact for many people became a branded year because it sat there all year and gave them a little white noise space to work in. Very clever. And what is a white Zinfandel moment? Because I've never actually had one of those. <laughs> well, <laughs> for, so for this crew, it's probably, probably similar to maybe your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> It might be similar to your champagne moment for a lot of these people. It's um, a moment of relaxation and escape. And I know as a father with two kids, when they're finally tucked up in bed, yes. to sit down and share a glass of wine with my wife is... Uh, that's release. It's escape. Yes. Going somewhere different and becoming, renewing yourself in a way. I'm ready to crawl right in. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have something really, thank you for the consumer insight piece of it. I mean, I just think that's something that we need to explore more and more at AdTech. Some of these real fundamentals of good advertising and bringing those to, you know, instead of being the ones who get the brief and have to implement, we should be able to create that brief for how that manifests online, as luckily you have, because you've bridged those worlds. Um, you and I are going to do something super fun at the New York Ad Tech, November 7th through 9th. I think you're on the 8th, Tuesday the 8th. Correct. And uh, we have launched a new series at Ad Tech called the Mastery Series. These are 
kind of strategic, fun, food for thought sessions, and you're doing one of our very first. Mm -hmm. It's a real-time focus group called Influencers Unplugged. And uh, the session description reads as such, influencers, influentials, connectors, mavens, salesmen, the elusive one in ten amongst us, your friends, our friends, us, but more connected, more passionate, more inquisitive, more driven, more wired. What really makes an influencer an influencer? In this session, we'll be going inside the lives, minds, and motivations of five pre-screened influencers, live and unedited. So WebShots, uh, Russ Novi, the Director of Marketing at WebShots, part of CNET Networks, is going to be on our show in two weeks. And he has used his website because his concept for his customers that come to his website, the world's largest photo sharing site, is that these are people who are influencers. They're blogging, they're communicating, they're connecting, they're recommending. He's mm-hmm. going to canvas his customer base and find five very unique influencers for you, Julian. And they're going to get up on the stage. These are regular folks, people who are online, who aren't connected to our industry. And what are you going to do with them when you get them up there? Probably freeze and panic because this is, as you said, so new. We'll have some white Zinfandel before you go on. (laughs) (laughs) No. What we are going to do is what we do in many cases with our cultural intelligence, which is the consumer insights, part of what ammo marketing does. And what planners the world over have been doing for years, which is just try and get inside their minds and understand what makes them tick. And fundamentally, influencers aren't very different to the rest of us. And in many cases, most of us, about 40%, depends who you talk to, 40% of people are influential in one category. And then a few people are influential in more categories. But these influencers by their characteristics, have a passion for finding out about new things, for sharing information, for searching for news, for going to the new places first. None of this is particularly surprising. What I think is very interesting in this arena, as online and offline really start to come together and the two worlds get bridged, is finding out how they find out about stuff. Um, Where do they go? Who do they reach out to? And then how do they then spread the information themselves? You talked then, Susan, about blogs and through emails and SMS and text. We've just finished a big study with teenagers. And if you could take one thing away from them, which would destroy their lives, it would be their cell phone. Um, Oh, okay. They cannot live without it. Mm -hmm. And that is their hub, their connection to virtually everything else, including now the online world, because they're surfing the web in a way that uh, I couldn't have imagined a few years ago. So... With those influencers, we'll be talking about discovery, about their tendency as influencers to maximize experiences and events and to really make the most of them, and also how they relate to brands. I think there's a common misconception within word-of-mouth marketing, influencer marketing, that it's only cool, new, trendy brands which merit conversation, Mm -hmm. and that couldn't be further from the truth. Brands have to have something to say. Um, the best brands that we work with have a real story to them. Now, that doesn't mean they're 150 years old, although that often is the case, but it means they've thought about what they stand for. Uh, we've worked with Method Home, which is a home care product sold through Target, and to do a pop shop devoted to home cleaning products and to immerse people in something they really don't want to think about, but to do that successfully requires a brand to have a really strong story, which is what Method had. So we'll be looking at the way they connect to brands. And then I think probably finally looking at their drive and confidence. Influencers may not fundamentally be hugely more driven and confident than the rest of us, but they tend to exhibit that in particular categories. They come alive when you talk about cars if they're an influencer in the auto category, Mm. or they really start to sparkle when they talk about wine. I'm sure most people have seen Sideways and can relate to that. So it's how to dig out who the influencers are and about what they're influential. Exactly. And how they go about communicating that influence, sharing that and promoting that influence. Yeah, what their passions in life are, Mm -hmm. because it's their passions which stimulate them and make them influencers and make them also have that charisma and sparkle. I mean, other people really listen to them and take their recommendations as opposed to saying, oh, Alex, he's that crazy guy who's obsessed with with wine, which is what can happen as well. Well, I can't wait to see you tease this information out of our five influencers at the AdTech New York show, Julian. I appreciate you coming on the show today.
And I appreciate you leading a very interesting Mastery Series session at the New York show. And I know everyone listening will be looking forward to seeing you there. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for for coming on today. And uh, perhaps you'll come back. I'd love that. I'm going to tell the audience about the next show uh, next Thursday at 9 a.m. We have Pete Blackshaw. He's the CMO, Chief Marketing Officer of IntelliSeq. And he will be the guest host. And he's interviewing Laura Lang, the president of Digitas. Russ Novi, the Director of Marketing of WebShots, and Kathleen Gaspari, the Senior Vice President of Label Networks. Three speakers who are coming to our show in New York for AdTech, and you'll get a sneak peek at what they're doing. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll look forward to talking to you next week, Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, AdTech Connect. Cheers.